Let me pray before we start looking at Scripture together today. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we love you. We thank you that whenever we're gathered together, you're present with us. Wherever we are, you're present with us. And we're grateful that you love us, that you have grace for us, that you forgive us, that you know each one of us better than we know ourselves. God, that you want to speak to us, that you want us to help you, to hear you. God, we pray that you would be in the midst of our conversation today and in the next few weeks we start this new series, that you would challenge us and encourage us and draw us closer together as a church, help us to see the role that you have for us to play in Northeast Minneapolis and beyond that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, over the next four weeks, we're trying something a little bit different. We're going to have a conversation on Sunday mornings simply called, How I Learned About Race. And we're going to have four different speakers over four weeks. And we're going to invite them simply to share stories about the ways in which they have grown in their understanding of race, issues of racial justice, and racial reconciliation that they've pursued in their life. And the four speakers are going to be myself, um, Pastor Dennis Edwards next week will be here from Sanctuary Covenant Church, a friend of ours has agreed to come speak. Pastor Stephanie will share the week after that. And Dr. Leland Eliason, longtime member of Mill City Church, will share the week after that. And our teaching team designed this series to honor one of our mission priorities this year in 2017, which is for Mill City to love our community in the name of Jesus by having honest conversations about the issues that are dividing us in our country related to race and the distinctly Christian way we ought to respond to some of these questions and challenges that we're facing. And so my hope for these four weeks is that we'd emphasize the word how, okay? Meaning, how does any of us do anything about these questions? How do we learn? How do we grow? So you're not going to hear four different pieces of Mill City's position on contemporary issues related to race. You're going to hear, hopefully, honest, and vulnerable stories about how people have grown as Christians trying to follow Jesus and learn from different perspectives and different backgrounds about what's essential to living out the mission of God and engaging the issues and challenges that race introduces to us. How do we love our community in the name of Jesus in this particular area? And so I hope it's going to be a great month for us. I know it's going to be challenging for some of us encouraging for others of us, but I think if in order for our church, which is an increasingly diverse church, to do what we're called to do, we have to continue to grow in our ability to engage with people who are different from us. We have to. It's not optional. And so that's why we're having this conversation. It's one of our priorities, and I'm excited about what God's going to do through it. Before I start telling you some of my own story, I want to just clarify two definitions that are real important if we're going to all be having the same conversation over the next few weeks. The first definition is the definition of race. So here's, here's how I'm using the word today. Race is a social construct. That means we as people have created it. To separate groups of people by their physical appearance and create a hierarchy of human value. 
And it's not something, race is not something that God created. It's a very powerful force in the world that we live in today. And it's not God's intention for the way in which we live together. It's not God's intention, put simply, that because people look differently or from different parts of the world, that one group of people would have more value than another group of people. Right? Basic definition? Okay. Ethnicity. When you hear me use the word ethnicity, I mean that as the combination of languages and cultures that have shaped who any of us are, no matter what your uh, ethnic makeup is, you have, some, you have some combination. And that is part of God's design. God has made us all differently. We're from different places. We're shaped differently. God's diversity of design is good and part of God's intention. Making value statements based on where people come from and the color of their skin is not part of God's intention. So that's just sort of a basic ground rule definition. So let me begin this month-long conversation by simply telling you some of my own story about how I learned about race. So when I grew up, I played lots of sports. I was in a sports family. And so if you weren't playing a sport, you were doing something wrong. And I was, lived in a, a St. Paul suburban school district with mostly white people at a school that was mostly white, which is no longer the case. It's much more diverse, ethnically speaking now. Um, but the one place in my life where I built relationships with people who didn't look like me was playing sports. For whatever reason, the handful of people of color, boys who were in my school, played basketball, played football, played baseball, and so I made friendships with some of these folks. And uh, had great friends, friendships with, with these people. When I look back now on those relationships, what I realize, based on what I know now, is that I had absolutely no awareness of what it must have been like to be an African-American 16-year-old boy from Mississippi trying to integrate your relationships in your life in an all-white school in Minnesota. No clue. Never did it cross my mind that something about other than uh, the accent was slightly different or the skin color was slightly different, never did it cross my mind that they might be facing racism in their everyday life in the school. And one of the things I want to say as I start out in telling the story is I now know that was part of what we now call privilege as a white person. That, that I had grown up my whole life, my whole young adult life, till 18 years old, and never had to think about race. I didn't ever feel like someone treated me differently because I was white. I'm sure people did, but that never crossed my radar, even though I had a handful of friends who were not white. And I've now learned from other people that that was part of a privilege that I had, that I didn't have to learn about race, and lots of other people didn't have that luxury. They had to learn about it. They were forced to learn about it because of the circumstances that they were living in. And most of my experience, my educational life, my young working life when I worked for a bank for a while, was in predominantly white contexts with predominantly white communities uh, with white assumptions about what life was like and, and how the world worked. And so nothing about those experiences made it necessary for me to learn about race. And that is not true for any of the people of color, especially in Minnesota. They don't have that option, and I did. So that's part of my story and part of my privilege. Now, I'm really proud to say that the thing that really woke me up 
on the topic of race was preparing to do ministry as a calling and as a vocation. When I started to feel like God was saying to me, you need to train to be part of church leadership, I'm going to ask you to help start a church, it became very clear in my relationships, in, my, in the classes I took, in some of the conferences I went to, that I wasn't going to be able to be a good pastor. I wasn't going to be able to be a good leader in the church if I didn't start addressing some of the blind spots I had with respect to race. And I was very proud. I'm proud to say now that you know, when, you, when I went to Bethel Seminary, which is still a predominantly white school, I had a class called Culture and Ministry where they made you take an assessment called the IDI, which if you're taking the class that we're doing on this later this month or next month, you'll get to take the same assessment, that helps you understand your cultural biases, how well you, you do at understanding different backgrounds, different cultures, different ethnicities. Uh, and I think I was like right in the middle, not terrible, not great. And the professor who was African-American at a mostly white seminary said, this is essential for you to be a good leader. You have got to grow in this area, and here are some pathways by which you can grow and mature in these areas. I went to a training down in Florida on church starting new churches, and one of the speakers was Ephraim Smith, who's the founding pastor of Sanctuary Covenant Church. And in that class, in that workshop, Ephraim read from Genesis chapter 11, which I'm going to read for you in a second. And he prefaced by reading Genesis chapter 11 saying, some people can read the whole Bible and not see any issues of race or diversity in Scripture. And other people can't read their Bible without seeing all kinds of issues related to race and diversity in Scripture. And he said, I'm going to read you this text and I'm going to show you how you can look at it two different ways depending upon where you're from and what your lenses are. So I want to do the same thing with you this morning. Here's uh, the Tower of Babel story in Genesis chapter 11. It says, Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. And they said to each other, Come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we will be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, if as one people, speaking the same language, they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over the earth, and they stopped building the city. That is why it was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of the whole world. And from there, the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. There's a lot to this story, but uh, Ephraim's point in teaching this was, okay, there's at least two ways you can read this. One is that these people were sinning against God by trying to build this tower and sort of, you know, another form of pride, trying to be God in some way, shape, or form. And the punishment is that they had to speak different languages. 
And from there, you might interpret that the, the reality that we have all of these different languages and different cultures now is part of this punishment. It's part of the curse. It's part of the fall. It's not God's intention. He said, or the way that lots of us read it who are not from majority cultures is to look at it and say, this, is, this was actually God's design the whole time. That God gave all God's people the mandate to spread out over all of creation and to live into the diversity of the whole world and to be people who cultivate the different cultures that God intended. And they were rejecting that by trying to all be the same in the same place by building a city where they were all doing the same thing together, trying to build their own name for their own sake. And so it isn't a punishment that God scattered them all over the whole world. It's actually part of God's blessing. And that God cannot accomplish God's mission without people spreading out over all the earth so that the whole earth would know who God was. We're going to come back to that point in just a little bit. But my sitting in that, in that workshop with Ephraim listening to him, recognizing, hey, this is one example, but I bet there's lots more examples of ways in which I think or read about Scripture that would be really different if I had the chance to at least hear from some people who don't look like me and didn't grow up in the same way that I grew up. And that's really critical. I went and sought out Pastor Ephraim after that because he lived here. And they had started Sanctuary just a little bit before we had started Mill City Church. And I said, Pastor Ephraim, I need to tell you, part of my desire in starting a church is that the church would not be just one ethnic group, that it wouldn't be all white people. And I want to get your advice as somebody who's trying to lead an intentionally multi-ethnic church about what I can do to try to help shape that at the beginning. And I will never forget this conversation sitting in his office because he kind of like looked at the ground for a while that you have to do when you know you have to tell somebody something they don't want to hear. And then he looked up to me and he said, you probably can't do it. And I said, what? And he's like, yeah, it's probably not going to work. <laughs> and I, I wanted to say, could you say something more encouraging than that? But then he told me this story about, about trying to start sanctuary. And he said, look, man, I, I'm, I'm from North Minneapolis. I'm black. I had a passion to start a multi-ethnic ministry. I, um, we've got this great group of, of white folks who are part of this new church start with us. There's so much distrust between the black community and the white community. There's so much fear among the black community that uh, being engaged in this way means they're going to lose some of the, the power and leadership that they have in this church. And I've had to go around relationally almost door to door to my African-American friends, the people who are involved in this church, and say, I need you to trust me and stay in this thing. And he said, I don't think, if, if I wasn't black and I didn't have all this credibility in North Minneapolis, I don't think it would have worked. So I have absolutely no idea how you're going to do that. And, and part of what he was saying is there's just, there's just not trust. Lots of people of color have had so many hard and terrible experiences that they don't think or don't know or that white people don't understand, that it's just going to be very hard for, you, for them to trust you in a way that is going to create 
this sort of a church. Coming out of that conversation and a number of other conversations right around the same time, one of the things I learned was that the best leaders, the people who are talking about church in a multi-ethnic expression, they all understood that being a multi-ethnic church was not the goal. You know? It's not just that we want to have like certain percentages of people all sitting here right now for the sake of being able to say that we've successfully racially and ethnically diversified our church. That wasn't the point. The point was that you can't really understand the gospel yourself. And you certainly can't articulate the gospel and live out the gospel in ways that diverse people are going to understand unless those people are part of your conversation in the beginning and as part of your community. And I knew from doing some research about Northeast Minneapolis to where I felt called that it was 65% white, that it was 35% a host of other ethnic backgrounds, and it was going to be very hard for any people in those groups to trust a predominantly white church, but it was still my heart, my desire that our church would reflect our neighborhood and be accessible to all the people of Northeast Minneapolis as we were thinking about this in 2008. All of my training led me to the conclusion that it was essential for our new church to learn how to engage across ethnic lines, across racial lines, if we were really going to be able to love our community in the name of Jesus. And that has been true for nine years as we have struggled to try to figure that out. So beyond the preparation and the starting of Mill City Church over this period of time that we've been doing ministry, the more we've engaged in ministry as Mill City Church, the more God has taught me about how different the experiences of many people of color are than my own experiences. And I want to give you just a few examples of this, a few stories. One, of, one was, as I started my PhD program at Luther Seminary, one of the pleasant surprises was that 60 or 70% of the students in my program were all from Africa. Uh, and they had come from Africa as church leaders to study at Luther and then go back and lead the church in Africa. And so we studied with folks from Tanzania and Ethiopia, um, East Africa, West Africa, Kenya, and then also from Southeast Asia. And I can remember mornings at Luther Seminary five, six years ago where we'd be listening to scripture at the beginning of every class. And in, in different classes, we would hear it in everybody's different language. So we'd read it in Swahili. Um, we'd hear it in all sorts of different tongues from the different places folks were from. And hearing their stories about how they were trying to contextualize and understand the gospel in their land and the racial challenges that are happening in Africa um, was so enlightening to me to help me to see the world from yet just a different perspective. To hear African perspective on U.S. culture is fascinating. Um, to hear their, their joys and their critiques of what life is like in the United States was amazing. Several times I've traveled down to New Orleans to visit the gentleman who's the best man in my wedding, Jordan McIntyre, who I went to college with. He uh, graduated from Stanford Law School, had an option to go to an amazing, ridiculously high-paying uh, lawyer job in D.C., and instead decided to go and be part of the juvenile defense um, community in New Orleans. So when I would go to visit my friend Jordan in this little one-bedroom apartment right in this city, and he had a phone or he had his computer and every 12 hours, every 12 hours, seven days a week, 
he would get an email with the list of anybody under 18 who had been arrested in the last 12 hours because it was possible that he would have to try to defend those folks or help them in some way, shape, or form. For 10 years, my friend got an email every 12 hours about who got arrested in New Orleans under 18. And um, Jordan is a white person. He's in a, in a community where some ridiculously high percentage of the folks who are arrested are African-American. And he would just sit over dinner in his apartment and just tell me stories about the experiences of these young people and what they were trying to do about it. And Jordan and I differ on a lot of things in terms of our worldview, but our friendship is very strong. And just hearing the stories and trying to wrestle through, what is a distinctly Christian response? How do I as a Christian respond to the kinds of challenges and the questions that Jordan is helping me understand through the lives and the eyes of these young men? Uh, last year, two springs ago, I think, a mentor group that I've been part of for 10 years we went down to Birmingham. Has anybody been down to Birmingham? Raise your hand. You can go down there and you can learn about the history of civil rights. The museums are amazing down that way. And to walk in some of the same spaces where Martin Luther King Jr. and others led, um, to sit in the church where people started bombing folks right outside because of their hatred for desegregation and the conversation around race at that period of time just brings a different perspective than reading about it in a book, right? To actually talk to folks who've lived there their whole life and hear their stories about the struggle to understand that their racial makeup does not define them. And the story after story after story about how many people said their faith was what sustained them through the many struggles that they had as Christians as Christian people. And finally, one last story. A friend of Stephanie and I's who called us a while ago, a year ago maybe, and we were just having dialogue with him. Uh, he's from Africa. And, and, and him saying to the two of us, one of the things that I need from you right now, I love being your friend, he said. One of the things I need from you the most right now, though, is for you as leaders to try to have conversations with other white people to help them have conversations and hear what we're experiencing. We don't, need the, we don't need them all to agree with us, but we do need them to engage. And, and I don't know how to do that, he said. It's more important for, for you to do that with other folks because you can call them into that. I feel like I have so much more to learn. I kind of wish I had titled the series How I'm Learning About Race, not How, I'm lear how I've Learned About It both past tense and present and future tense. I have so much more to learn. I'm constantly aware of how many blind spots I have as a white person. And I'm so grateful, especially for the people of color in my life, my friends, who will sit with me and share vulnerably about what their experience has been like and then also listen to my questions, which I'm sure sound like really naive questions a lot of the time, and help me to understand how their faith in Jesus Christ continues to help them see the ways in which they want to engage the, the challenges around race. But one thing I want to say that I've learned from all of them, and that is that education is really not the point. Uh, awareness even isn't really the end goal, although it's very important. The point of this conversation um, 
is to battle the evil of racism so that it doesn't prevent us from helping each other to see God more clearly and understand the gospel more fully through relationships that bridge ethnic lines. Let me just say that one more time. The point is for us to battle the evil of racism, to call racism evil and admit that it's evil that exists in our world, so that it doesn't prevent us from, from seeing God as fully as we can through each other's experiences and faith, and to also understand the gospel more fully through those relationships so that we can then be part of what God is doing in the world. I feel really strongly that to understand the failure of what we might call the liberal worldview or the progressive worldview or the conservative, that both of those groups really have an atheistic perspective on this problem at its core. I know there are people of faith in those groups, and I'm, not, I'm just trying to say there's a distinctly Christian reason to do this. And the distinctly Christian reason is that Christians battle evil in all of its forms for the sake of God's glory, for the sake of our own wholeness and healing and forgiveness, and for the sake of the good news being proclaimed to all people, right? I don't know of a place that this is seen, this heal, healing and wholeness is seen more clearly than in Acts chapter 2, so I want to highlight that in the few minutes I have here. So I want to think of Acts chapter 2 as kind of the anti-Babel story, okay? If the Tower of Babel is a bunch of people all speaking one language trying to make their name as great as God's name, and God's saying, no, 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 you got to speak different languages and go through the whole earth, the Acts 2 story is the people who speak different languages in the whole earth coming to a common place, Jerusalem, and the very first act of the Holy Spirit, the birthday of the church, the very first thing the Holy Spirit does is give people supernaturally the ability to share the good news about Jesus Christ in all languages. Think about this. The Holy Spirit did not change everybody's plural languages into one language so that they could all hear it. God spoke in all their unique cultural identities the good news of Jesus Christ so they could understand it. I love that picture. Take the Tower of Babel and take Acts 2 and say that the way the church has to start is for the good news of Jesus Christ to be translated into any language that anybody speaks so they can understand it that God honors the ethnic diversity, the creative cultural differences that we all have, and the Spirit's work through the church is to communicate that gospel to any person who will listen. Yeah? I just love that. It is so encouraging to me to understand the birthday of the church in that way. I have learned, I am learning about race in a few key ways. I'm going to put these up on the screen for you, okay? The first one that really helped me start, I think, was God cultivating a heart desire, a want to in my life. That as I thought about ministry, as I thought about church, as I thought about a context like Northeast Minneapolis, I wanted to know more. I wanted to grow. I wanted to see my blind spots. 
not just for my own sake or because it was the right thing to do or I wanted to be accepted as a you know, cosmopolitan 21st century person, but because I wanted to be part of what God was doing. And that's, that, was my, that is a growth edge for me. It was a heart desire to see people in Northeast feel like church is a place for them that they can find God and be honored in all their diversity. The second way was through Scripture, particularly through people who were teaching me Scripture who were people of color. To have the opportunity to learn from people who were faithful Christians, who were wise folks who could say, hey, I, this is how we're seeing this Scripture, was enormously helpful for me. And I continue to be thankful for all those, all those opportunities. Thirdly, relationships. To develop relationships with other people, people of color, who could help me see the world differently and answer my questions. Just in the last two weeks, I've had multiple meetings with people where I could just say, hey, help me, underst help me understand this part of this. I know that might sound ridiculously offensive, but just help me. And they always say, yeah, okay, here, how about this? How about that? This is how we're looking at it. I'm so grateful for those relationships. I hope you have some of those yourself. It's been so powerful for me to have personal experiences and also to hear stories of other people's experiences of how the evil of racism is affecting them in their lives. It has changed my heart. To have educational opportunities, to give language to things like race and ethnicity, to have tools to be able to name, here's really what's happening. To get beyond shame and guilt and feeling like this is everything about you is wrong, no matter where your background is, and say, here's what scripture says, here's what we're dealing with, here's how we move forward, is so empowering and really necessary. It's been really helpful for me. And finally, I wanna just say, that prayer has been this essential part of me trying to say, God, just help me to see things the way that you see as much as I can do it. Help me to understand why you've created things the way you have, and help me always particularly to know how Jesus would respond to these things. Because I always want it to be a distinctly Christian response to the challenges that are in front of us. I'm super grateful to be part of a community that wants to learn about this. I'm proud to be part of a community that's willing to call racism evil and to approach it by the power of God's Spirit and in the name of Jesus in the way Jesus taught us to approach any evil. And let me invite the band to come back up. I know that this topic is very hard for many people. It's hard for me. Some of you no doubt feel that Mill City has not done enough in this area, in this conversation. Some of you don't understand why we talk about it as much as we do. I get that. I understand the frustrations, I do. I simply wanna ask all of us to keep trying, to keep engaging, to keep reaching out, to participate in the opportunities that are coming up that Stephanie mentioned during the announcements today that our missional communities are creating for us to try to help us to grow. I think it's clear that God has more for our church in this area, do you agree? And I trust that God will lead us to help all of us to grow in the ways that we want to and that we need to so we can continue to live out the mission that God has invited us into. So I hope you hear everything I'm saying today as, as essentially about our necessity to continue to grow with each other 
and with others so we can love our community in the name of Jesus. And so that the church can be a witness to the God who created the diversity that we see in the world, who does not see people as different based on the color of their skin, but who wants a community to, to live out in Jesus' name the ability to help love each other despite our differences. We're going to take communion this morning, and as I was thinking about communion in light of this conversation, I was thinking again that our unity as Christians is centered in this practice, that all of us are equal in the sense that we all need the forgiveness of Jesus in our lives. And whatever you're feeling about this topic, I hope that when you come forward for communion today and you receive the bread, gluten-free bread at that, that you will know that Jesus loves you and that Jesus forgives you and, and that the blood of Jesus Christ covers the sin that you have in your life. And then as you turn to go out and there'll be people on the walls ready to pray for you, if you have something in this area particularly you want them to pray for, please stop and let them pray for you but to be going back into the world as forgiven people who are committed to stepping into hard conversations for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of God's church um, at a time when we desperately need God's peace in this area, yes? Let's pray. Jesus, we know that you love us no matter what. We know that you have proven your love for us by your death on the cross, which we're going to celebrate here in a minute. We thank you for your unconditional love, for your forgiveness for us. Lord, I pray by the power of the Spirit against fear and anxiety, against guilt and shame, against the worry, God, of what people might think of us. I pray with all of our flaws, God, that you would help us in this church to love each other the way that you love us, to listen to each other humbly, to receive from each other what we have to offer. I pray, God, that where we as a church have contributed to the evil of racism, that you would forgive us, that you would bring that to light, that you would help us to restore and reconcile where we need to. I pray, God, that you would show us each one way that you can help us to learn more about how you love the diversity of your creation and how it pains you when values are placed on people because of the color of their skin. Lord, help your church to lead the way in this area. Forgive us for our sins. Help us to live as free people who have been forgiven for our sins. To not walk in fear or shame or guilt, but to hold our heads high because you love us and your spirit empowers us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.